Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Frank Sung. I'm one of the elders here at Seacoast. It's my privilege to teach this morning. I'm pinch hitting for Pastor Ryan. You saw the picture. Ryan is leading this team of seven that's on their way to Tanzania. And, um, you know, sometimes you gotta have, you gotta have pinch hitters on the bench that are ready to go. So I selected uh, this particular passage because I think it's very appropriate. It's a couple of days since Christmas. We are somewhat in this uh, custom of gift receiving and gift giving. And so the thought that came up to my, in my mind, along with the passage, is the subject, the gift that keeps on giving. So I need you to start thinking. This is audience participation time now. I need you to think about gifts that you have received that keep on giving. That, that means gifts that grow in value, that grow in usefulness, precious. And so while you're thinking, I am teeing up a couple of gifts that, uh, that I remember, that gifts that keep on giving. So the first one are bicycles. I don't know if you guys heard, but you all gave 139 bikes to the community uh, to, through the Community Resource Center. Well done. Really, way to go. Now, can you think of the time? Yeah, yeah. Way to go. So the bicycle, I remember when I got my first bicycle. I think I was in fourth grade, and it set me free. I mean, I could take a bike. I could get to Little League practice. I could get to the games. A few years after that, I actually had a bike. You know, back in the old days, they, I grew up in a small town up in the Monterey Peninsula. They actually had paper route deliverers. So you, you, you wrap the paper, you put it in this bag, and you, you have to have a bike because you're riding down the street and you're, and you're flinging the papers. I even took my three-speed bike, if you can believe they still had three-speeds back then. I took my three-speed bike actually to college for the first year. For some reason, I was trying to jam uh, the college experience in four years. I took these 8 a.m. classes. We lived in the dorms on the hill, and that bike was great going downhill, but the three-speed wasn't so good getting back up. So this bicycle was a gift that kept on giving. Here's another example. Now, you're supposed to be thinking about gifts that keep on giving, right? So, so I have a neighbor. I have a neighbor who has a very impressive light display every year for Christmas. It's his gift to the neighborhood, to the community. He keeps adding new figures in his Star Wars theme. And he's gonna, every year he adds something. So he's got a few to add this coming year, right? For those of you that have seen the mo movie, for sure, BB-8, the new droid. Okay, so I want to hear from you. Gifts that keep on giving, what comes to mind? We're going to be here. What's that? Being taught how to row. Being taught how to row. A coach. A coach that taught you something that you... That was an inside plant. That's my daughter <laughs> now. Okay. <laughs> gifts that keep on giving. Come on. Skiing. Family vacations. Yes? Memories, skills that keep on giving. Others. What's that? Oh, my goodness. Oh. I thought you were going to say Jesus. He is the gift that keeps on giving, but we'll get back to the passage in a moment. A, a godly wife. The Bible. Oh, you guys are so spiritual. How about just like, like gifts, little gifts? Uh, the clock? Yeah, yeah, all right, all right, I'm going to end, okay, one more, done. My mommy loves me when I was a little kid, oh. so what else? And she just was really warm and affectionate, and since I've been in recovery, and I feel like people didn't get that, I just realized how much God has given me. 
Oh, that's beautiful. We're going to put you on the pinch hitter lineup next time. Yeah, we'll switch roles here. Well, I've got one more that I should tee up. Pets. Now, this happens to be our little golden doodle on the right with her best friend Gia on the left and the neighborhood dog named Bailey in back. Now, is that, are they like happy? Are they like content? Pets, right? Could be cats, but I happen to be a dog lover. But pets, gifts that keep on giving. Well, you know, we use the term um, happiness, contentment, and joy very interchangeably. And they all give us a sensation of, of feeling good. So for the purposes of our uh, discussion this morning, I'd like to go ahead and define um, how we might want to use it. So happiness, I would, uh, I would conjecture, say, that it comes from a pleasurable or satisfying experience, and they're circumstantial and fleeting. They come and go. Like last night's football game. Thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Any sports team. Highs and lows. Uh, what are other happy? Oh, here was a happy thing. Last Monday, we were up uh, on some family business on the Monterey Peninsula, and we snagged a 3D, you know, middle of the theater, stadium uh, theater seats, cushy seats for Star Wars. Now, I was really happy. <laughs> so all things being equal, it's better to be happy than not. But that's happiness, circumstantial and fleeting. Contentment. I would define as happiness that comes from what is yours. It can be from worldly provisions or it could be in our relationship with God. And being satisfied, being delighted. You can be content from worldly things, from a lot of treasures, from a good meal, from a wonderful uh, uh, house, a bicycle, uh, you know. I mean, it, so those could be worldly things, but godly, a relationship with the Lord, having peace with the Lord, where the pendulum of life, the highs and the lows, still, not boring, but just being in a state of bliss, that would be godly contentment. And joy. Joy we've been studying throughout December. Love, peace, hope, founded on our faith. Joy I would define for our purposes as it's a fruit of the Spirit. You can't, you can't fabricate it. It comes from your relationship with the Lord. And I would say the joy would be godly contentment. That's how I would define it for this morning. Because it comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. It is everlasting and it is not dependent upon circumstances, things that happen around us. It's kind of an inside-out fruit of the Spirit sensation, joy, godly contentment. I was listening to a sermon um, about a month ago, from a pastor from a church uh, in, Pacific, uh, in Santa Monica. It's a church that uh, our older daughter and son-in-law went to for quite a few years. They have quite a ministry. They serve Santa Monica, and they have about, I don't know, three, 4,000 people. But they have a real heart for inner-city L.A. In fact, they partner up every year with missionaries that we support, the, the, the Norris's, Thomas Shannon. And that church will sign up for, when they have their food boxes, they'll sign up for 2,000 food boxes. When they have their back-to-the-school power packs, they'll sign up for 1,500 power packs. So uh, his name is uh, uh, Pastor Rankin Wilburn. He said something which uh, I want to share with you. He says, if you are not content with where you are today, nothing can be added to you tomorrow to make you content. If you're not content with where you are today, nothing can be added to you tomorrow to make you content. What's he talking about? 
think he's talking about joy. He's talking about godly contentment. So the gift that keeps on giving that uh, Emily read about the Apostle Paul, the secret that he found, it is in a godly relationship uh, that can only come from Jesus Christ. Okay, so before we dive into the passage, a little bit of background on on the letter. The Philippian church, uh, the Apostle Paul was a missionary, first of all. And those of you who are familiar with his travels, he was called to take the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, the good news that Jesus came, we celebrated his birthday a couple of days ago, and he died for our sins and he rose again. The good news, he was chartered, he was given the call to take the good news to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. He traveled around all the time. Sometimes he had a roof over his head, sometimes he didn't. Sometimes churches would support him, uh, other believers would support him, and other times he had to take a job. He took a part-time job, as we would if we wanted to eat. So he was a tent maker. Well, the Apostle Paul uh, went to the Philippian church about 10 years prior to him writing this letter. He writes a very short letter. It is full of joy, joy despite his circumstances. He's in jail. He's in jail in Rome. This is about 10 years later. He's in jail, and they had sent him some financial support, and he was very grateful, and he wanted to bless them as they have encouraged and blessed him. He wanted to bless them back. And this letter was written about 30 years after uh, Jesus ministered and, and went back to heaven. And it was about the same time this letter was written, about the same time also from jail, uh, in terms of uh, the letter that we've been studying up to December, the, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And one other note, um, this is the joy letter. I'm not big on Greek. I'm a little bit better in Chinese. Uh, but the term kara means joy, joy-filled, godly contentment. It's used 16 times in this letter. So we're going to draw some truth out of this letter in addition to the passages, and I think you'll be blessed by it. So let's go ahead and get uh, into the, the passage that Emily wrote. And before we do that, if you would pray with me. Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth, for your word that you've passed down to us that we can study, that we can learn. Thank you for the presence of your spirit in us that can make it come alive. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a softened heart to be able to absorb and uh, own your truth and to be able to be equipped and enabled to actually use it so that we can have joyful living. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So verse 10, put it on the screen. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul is joyful that the Philippian church sent him financial support. This is all about money. This passage is about money. That's not what we're here to talk about, but I just wanted you to understand the context of it. He was joyful that they had sent him money. He makes it clear that it was not their fault that they hadn't sent any money any sooner. They lost track of him for about two years. It's been about 10 years since he was with them. Uh, They've supported him before, but he's traveling around and, you know, information and messaging and whereabouts, it's not easy to figure out. And they had lost track of him for about two years. Additionally, uh, it's possible, as the pastor says, they either didn't have the opportunity, maybe there wasn't a messenger to, to take the financial gifts to him. I mean, they didn't have FedEx or UPS or the U.S. Postal Service. They didn't perhaps have a reliable messenger to be able to take it to him. 
So this uh, verse simply says that he was joyful and he didn't blame him for uh, not doing it any sooner. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, Paul did not send out an appeal letter. We often receive appeal letters, which are great. It gives us a status of what the missionaries' uh, prayers and praise requests are. Usually there's a request for financial support. We usually we're glad to do that, to be part of the ministry. But Paul had not sent an appeal letter. But he undoubtedly had a need. I mean, he's in prison. You know, when you're in prison in those days, you've got to provide for yourself, right? So he had a need. And he also says that he has learned to be content, whatever his circumstances. I mean, he's in chains. He's, he's, his travel is restricted. So verse 12 expands on whatever the circumstances in verse 11. Verse 12 reads, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has learned the secret. In the paraphrased translation in the message, which I often like to read because it just flows, they use the word for secret. They use recipe. He has found the recipe. He has found the secret to being content. And this didn't just happen overnight. If you follow the missionary travels of the Apostle Paul, uh, you'll know that uh, it was a process. It took a while to be able to learn this. In 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about all the different things that had happened to him. He was shipwrecked. He was falsely accused, thrown in jail. Five times he was whipped, 40 minus one lashes. The Romans believed that 40 lashes would kill a man. So 40 minus one lashes five times. I mean, this guy suffered, and it took him a while to learn the process. How do you, how do you remain content? with your life, with your circumstances, with all these trials and tribulations. The other point I like to bring out is it's okay. It's okay if you haven't arrived yet. This is a process, as we said. Um, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive his spirit. We receive the joy, which is the fruit of the spirit. But to be able to live it out, to be joy-filled despite your circumstances, it's a process. So if you're not there, I'm not there. If you're not there, it's okay. There's a quote that I want to share with you that I think captures it very well. G.K. Chesterton, uh, you've heard him quoted before. He, I really, uh, about a year ago, a neighbor said, you've got to read this guy, this G.K. Chesterton guy I had never been exposed to. He was a great theologian and writer in the early 1900s. And he writes this, and I want to share it with you. True contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. It is arduous and it is rare. The word arduous takes a lot of effort. It's hard work. The, 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 the metaphor of agriculture, it takes, it takes a lot. You've got to prepare the soil. You've got to plant it. You've got to water. You've got to weed it. I mean, you've got to fertilize it. I mean, it's a process. I think G.K. Chesterton captures very well that it's okay if you don't live out every moment in joy. Um, and then let's go to verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
Other translations, the NASB, the NIV, uh, talks about, um, well, other, even other translations, the NIV, talk about everything. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The source of Paul's secret, of his strength, is Jesus Christ. The preposition in Greek of in and through uh, can also be another way of looking at it. It can be in, it can be with, it could be by means of, among, because of. The reason that that struck me, and I want to share it with you, is that through him, to me, is often better described as in him. This verse, and Pastor Dale, thank you for uh, coaching me a little bit. This verse can be taken out of context. Oh, hey, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I want to be a millionaire. Well, and so I'm going to do it through Jesus. Well, no, if if you're in Jesus, if that's His will for you, yeah, that'll happen. But what is the will of God? How to be in Him and through Him? How does He become your source? But also, how does He map out what is your destiny? What is it that He'll have you live out your life to do and to be? So the key is to be in the will of God for your life, to be in the will of Christ for your life, to have a close relationship with him. So let's make a shift in terms of how can we, how can we protect this joy? Getting it is not easy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But how do you, how do you protect it? How do you keep it? First of all, you've got to know you got it, right? So what is Paul saying in this passage? Here's my... Here's Frank's uh, paraphrase. I have learned over the years of experience and with God's guiding hand that the real secret to joy, godly contentment, no matter what, is that I know I am never alone in anything that life throws at me. I have Christ living in, in me and through me, giving me strength to face situations one at a time, day by day, as they come to pass. Because I know this to be true, Christ in me. I live in a state of total inner peace and contentment, this joy. That can only come from him. So even though these verses specifically talk about a financial gift that the Apostle Paul is thankful for, he very much talks about the inner joy that comes in all situations. So I've selected seven, not five, not six, but seven different ways that the Word of God helps us to be able to protect, protect the joy that we get from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first one is reframe your chains. Philippians 1, 12 through 13. It's going to be a fair amount of scripture, but these are powerful words, and I have them in your uh, bulletin, and you'll also have them in the daily encounter if you do it during the week. So I'm going to read from the message version of Philippians 1, 12 uh, through 13. I want, you, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here, and as Paul's writing, right, he's in prison, has had the opposite effect of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, <laughs> the message only comes from a, tr- uh, a literal tr- translation, right? The message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else, too, found out that I'm in jail because of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That piqued their curiosity. That got them really curious. And now they've learned all about him. Paul's looking has, at his set of circumstances through godly lenses, if you will. Victor Franco has been quoted, uh, I think Ryan quoted him a couple weeks ago. He is a uh, famous um, psychologist that survived the Nazi concentration camp. So let me share this, uh, this um, quote from him. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. 
They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, and that is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. I think that captures very well of your attitude, how you look at a particular situation. How do you reframe your chains? Number two, shrink irritants. Philippians 1.18, again from the message uh, paraphrase translation. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives. What they're talking about, what Paul's talking about is that there are people out there preaching Jesus Christ, sometimes for selfish gain, sometimes to build themselves up and to be a bigger, bigger person while he's in jail. He says, I don't care. What matters? Every time one of them opens his mouth, Jesus Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. So these people are very irritating them. Here he is locked up, and they're just going out there doing their thing, whatever their motives are. And some of them, the motivation wasn't very pure. So what I want to draw from that and share with you, that there are going to be people in our lives, in our families perhaps, holidays sometimes, you know, kind of, kind of, gets us to, to be around them. So it could be neighbors, could be workplace people. There are people that probably irritate you, that probably think differently, act differently, you don't agree with, but you gotta, you got to be around. Well, um, there are a couple of things that you can do with that, right? There's only two really healthy things that you can do that. One is you need to just humbly accept your part of whatever the friction is and try to make amends. Try to, to the best of you know how, Try to reconcile. And after you've done that, and after you have owned your part of the responsibility, the idea is that you shrink, you shrink their exposure to you, their influence to you. So shrink your irritants. That would be what I would share with point number two on how to protect your joy. Let's go to number three. Letting go, looking ahead. Philippians 3, 13, and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have been have taken hold of it. I don't count myself an expert in, in any of this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has forgiven us. He died on the cross to forgive us. So whatever we've done, it's been forgiven. You don't need to beat yourself up over it. Um, there are affirmations that I find very helpful. One of them is from this particular card. Um, some of you that come regularly have, have been exposed to it, may have it, may have it on your, you know, on your credenza or on your, but we have more bookmarks on the back table. So feel free to take another one or take one for a friend. But it is uh, entitled, Who Am I in Christ? I really believe, it, and, and, and the three sections, and it's all scripture. It's not anything but scripture. Three sections of who am I in Christ that I am accepted? Who am I in Christ? How do you get your identity in Christ? How do you get your security in Christ? And how do you find your significance in Christ? I think if you do these affirmations as, as kind of a regular diet, you will uh, be able to protect your joy. So uh, that would be number three. Let go of what's going on. Look ahead. Look at what God's uh, will is for you, looking ahead. Apostle Paul certainly had a lot, a lot to to forget, right? I mean, he was, he was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was there holding the coats of these people throwing rocks and killing the first martyr, Stephen. So the Apostle Paul certainly wasn't held back. He, uh, he answered his calling going forward. Number four, 
beautiful scripture. We've taught on it a couple of times already this month. Let me just read it and then we make a couple of comments. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Prayer and praise. The role of prayer and praise in protecting your joy. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, or in the NASB says, surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus with thanksgiving. You know, if Jesus Christ is the secret to godly contentment, then prayer certainly is the power behind it. So let me, let me you know, we all have challenges. And, we're, and, and I said uh, you know, a few minutes ago, it's okay that you don't, you're not there. Let me just share with you two days before Thanksgiving, and I got permission. Um, two days before Thanksgiving, our 12-month-old granddaughter, uh, she's in the stage of wobbling. I don't know if you guys have children in that stage or have grandchildren in that stage. when It's kind of like the monster walk. And, and, and they're just wobbling, but they're wobbling fast. Well, she wobbles and she fell against some furniture and cut her chin under, under the chin and was all bloody. We were at home. The nanny called us, called the parents. Uh, nanny took the baby uh, to, to the doctor, got her sewed up. But then, you know, in the afternoon, there was some additional thinking that says, man, that cut is so deep that it probably, uh, the healing process would benefit and also there'd be less scarring if you go back in and, and restitch it. Well, in the process of doing that, when she came back out after the second time to the doctors, um, her, 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 her left lower lip, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't really, you know, functioning. So we're like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, is she going to go through life disfigured? Is she going to have her sippy cup and the milk's going to drool out? I mean, we have all these concerns and fears, if you will. So that morning, uh, 3 a.m., I'm trying to sleep there. I wake up and I'm afraid, I'm fearful, I'm asking all these what-if questions. And, and I quickly realized, you know, the enemy is trying to, trying to rob me of my joy because I'm so concerned about something that I can do nothing about. So I'm not saying this will work for you, but, but it, it was my, for the next 45 minutes, I wrestled with God. And whenever I get in situations like this, I, I pound scripture, whether it's in family life, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8, or men's life group. Trust the Lord. I mean, I, I would just say, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Or John 16:24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I mean, I was pounding Scripture, claiming God's truth. And about 45 minutes later, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. There was a peace that came over me. I think it could only have, I know it can only have come from, from the Lord. He gave me a peace, and I just sensed him saying, I got it, Frank. I got it. She'll be fine. So whatever works for you, I'm saying there's power in the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Put it on index cards. Put it into your heart. Use it to protect yourself. Use it whenever life circumstances is trying to steal your joy. God filled mine. Philippians 4, 8, right after 6 and 7. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about things. Think about these things. There is spiritual warfare going on. 
There is thought pollution. Check what you're reading, what you're watching, what are you seeing on the internet. Guard yourself in terms of what you let in and try to filter it against the Word of God. That will help you protect your joy. Number six, uh, we are a church of life groups. You've heard us say that over and over. So uh, Philippians 2.4, a paraphrase, uh, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. I got all ready this morning. I was all excited, got all packed. I was going to, I was zipping down our street to come to church, hit the freeway and come down, come down the five. And I see this man um, pushing his stroller. He's got a, I guess, a four or five, five-year-old uh, little girl, as I uh, come to know, named Zara. His name is Rob. And he's got, he's got the, 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 the stroller and he's got, he's got the, the, you know, the carry-on luggage. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm buzzing down. I'm probably going over the speed limit. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, I'll bet you he's trying to get to the Poinsettia station to the coaster to go to the airport or something, right? I mean, so, so I made a U-turn. I came back. I'm not a great saint. I don't always stop to help somebody, but I'm glad I did that this morning. Be in community. Be, be with others. Uh, get outside of yourself. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And in Hebrews 10.25, I know I stepped out of uh, the book, the short book of Philippians, but this is a, a great verse, uh, 10.25. Let us give, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you're in a community, rededicate yourself. If you're not in a community, consider joining one as we uh, come into this new year. Number seven, something about the number seven. There's, there's a completion to it. It's the creation week, right? Uh, back to Philippians 4, 4.13. I can do all this. I can do everything through him or in him who gives me strength. Abide in him. Obey him. I stepped outside also. This is Jesus in John 15, 10 and 11, speaking to his disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The question is, don't you see the link between obedience and joy? I'll leave that for you. Um, let me go ahead and ask the worship team to start making their way up. This might seem like a formula or a recipe. It isn't. It's the Word of God. Maybe there's a different five or ten. Maybe there are more than these seven that I've shared. Mostly just from this short letter of joy from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. The Word of God is so powerful. Uh, own it, protect it, claim it. Um, let me just say that if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you've got it. So claim it and protect it. If you are seeking and you're looking and you think Jesus is just a good teacher, this is the day. Take that step of faith. You know, it wasn't so easy for me either. I was 28 years old. I had Jesus parked in this category of, yeah, I kind of like what he's saying. This sure makes sense. This is good, healthy, godly living. I would put Jesus in the category of Buddha, Confucius, you know, my Chinese-American background. Buddha, Confucius, could be Muhammad, could be Gandhi, could be Mother Teresa. I had Jesus parked in the category of a good teacher. And then we got invited to a small little startup church, about 50 people in a rented office building, and the pastor gave a very simple sermon about who Jesus is. 
He said, and I felt he was talking to me. He said, if you've got Jesus parked as a good teacher and you know what he has said about himself, he says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever shall believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So how can you say Jesus is just a good teacher? He's either who he says he is, so he really convicted me, or he's a great liar and he had a lot of people helping him lie, or he's crazy. So with all eyes closed and heads bowed, he says, just slip up your hand if you want to believe him for who he says he is. The one and only son of God. I slipped up my hand. I was 28 years old. I'm not going to do that today, but I want you to pray the prayer with me. Whether you're a believer, you want to recommit yourself. Whether you're a seeker and you want to know if this is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, uh, pray this prayer. And then afterwards, tell me, tell one of the elders, tell one of the pastors, tell who you came with, and then let us help you take the next step. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I goof up and I fall short and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to make a change today. I now invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want you to be the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. I pray in your name, Jesus, to Father God. Amen.